0: I told your Pastor, a moment ago, I like the music around here. I really do. And it lifts up Jesus. It's joyful and spirit-filled, and I like the way you sing it, too. And I want to commend you, all the special music tonight. I'd like to take this choir with me on the road full-time. That'd be all right, Pastor. Take about 40, 45 of your members, and you won't miss them, right? (laughs) As long as you're back by Sunday, yeah. We'll get a big bus and paint your pictures on the side and tour America together. What do you think? I tell you, the choir, that was great tonight, and thank you for being Sunday night, church members. I still believe all day, the Lord's Day, is a day to give attention to God and to God's work, and uh, I want to thank you for being here tonight. Tammy and I love your pastor and his wife. We don't know one another really well. We're really just getting acquainted good, but I love his spirit, and I know God has given you a true shepherd in this place, and I rejoice to see what God is, is doing here in your church. The preacher said I was here for another meeting, and we do have a meeting. Maybe I'll say more about it at the end of the hour. Uh, But tonight, I want to do something a little different, if I may, different at least from the norm for me. And I'm going to deal with something extremely specific, deeply practical, very personal to me. And instead of staying in one portion of Scripture, as would be the norm, I'm going to take you to several Scriptures. So get your fingers out and stretch them out right now because we're going to do a little turning And before we begin, before we even open our Bibles, I want you to get a pen out and something to write on because we're going to make a list tonight. Now, even if you don't normally take notes, tonight's the exception, all right? So take notes. And husbands, we're the worst. I know. You lean over and say, sweetheart, you take notes for both of us. Not tonight. You've got to take your own notes tonight. Because I'm going to ask you to do something with the list that you write down. In fact, we're going to use it as soon as I finish preaching tonight. You're going to do something with it, and then I'm going to ask you to take it home and do something with it for the next seven days. So there's, there's method to the madness, and I want you to be ready to write it down. Somebody taught me years ago that a short pencil is better than a long memory. So this will help you to remember, to meditate, and to apply. In fact, the invitation tonight is going to be more of an application, and it won't be seen so much in this room as it is seen in the way you take this and use it over the next few days, I want you to open the Word of God with me, if you will, please, in the New Testament to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 5. Now, if you know 1 Thessalonians, you know that this is a book that is getting God's people ready for the second coming of Jesus Christ. And look, this has been a great meeting. I was in a great meeting this morning, and I'm looking forward to the meetings this week. But don't you know, there is going to be a much better meeting in a much better location very soon. Christ is coming. You all believe that around here, right? Do you believe Jesus could come while I'm preaching tonight? Think about this. Look, Christ may come while we are in this meeting. <laughs> I'd be thrilled to go to heaven from this place. I'd like to go to, go to heaven with you. That'd be great. And uh, we'd meet the rest of the family in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to get God's people ready the church of Thessalonica, the model church for the soon return of Jesus Christ. And this is fascinating to me. In the early part of this letter, he talks all about the coming of Christ, and as he nears the end, he gets down to where they live. Aren't you glad that prophecy is not some pie-in-the-sky, theoretical thing, some vague notion it actually touches where we live every day, or at least it should. If people talk about prophecy and it doesn't change the way they live, they miss the point of prophecy. So when you come to First Thessalonians chapter 5, he gives a very long list, a lot of famous things in this list. I wish I had time to study the whole thing with you. You want a good list to study, take this list. I mean, it's got rejoice evermore and pray without ceasing and everything. Give thanks. Quench not the spirit. Abstain from all appearance of evil. A lot of great principles in the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians. But I want to draw your attention to one that I think is is sorely and sadly neglected in our day. Let's read just a little bit. Start in verse 11. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Stop, let's let's just apply this one. Let's just stop and apply this one for a second. It's not my message, but just for fun, all right? When preachers say just for fun, people get nervous. I understand that, but just for fun, let's comfort one another and edify one another. How many of you'd like to hear something good tonight? Would you raise your hand? You'd like to hear something good? All right, don't wait on me, don't wait on me. You share something good about the goodness of God. I'm going to give you 30 seconds right now, and I want you to tell somebody seated next to you or near you one thing God's done for you lately, one thing about the Lord. Lift up the Lord. You've got 30 seconds. By the way, if you don't participate, I'm going to bring you to the platform and let you tell everybody, all right? So what they'll do is do quickly. You've got 30 seconds. Ready, go. Right now, tell somebody something about the goodness of God. Oh, yes. Let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Say so. And look, that's what a church is about. You come into a church house, you know, Pastor, it's sad, but in many churches where I go, churches has become a spectator sport. And people come in, they plop down in comfortable pews in beautiful buildings and look at the guy on the platform and cross their arms almost like, all right, we dare you to bless us tonight and tell us some good thing." May I say to you, that's not what a church is about. No, no, we edify one another. We comfort one another. We encourage one another. There have been a lot of meetings through the years where I went in a meeting, came out of a meeting, having a hard time, and I did not remember what the preacher preached. (laughs) Let's take a survey. How many of you have ever done that? It's all right to be honest. Would you raise your hand? Look, some of those times I was the one doing the preaching. That's pretty bad, you know. But you know what I remember? Somebody in that church said to me, some dear old saint of God said, I want you to know God's brought you to my mind this week. I'm praying for you. Look, don't wait. Don't wait on one person to exhort and edify and comfort. That's that's the responsibility and privilege of all of God's children. That's the joy of being a part of the greatest family in the world, and that's the family of God. Don't ever miss that. Then you come to verse 12. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you (laughs) and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. And I like the fact that this is tacked on the end. And be at peace among yourselves. May I tell you what encourages the pastor and the Lord's servants more than anything? When there's peace among the Lord's people. This particular Lord's Day, you're honoring your pastor. I'm glad about that. This month across the country, there's a lot of pastor appreciation things going on, and I like that. But I want to say to you tonight, there is one thing you can do for your pastor that is greater than any other thing, and it should not be done one Sunday a year. It should be done every day. I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad has pastored the same church. In the mountains of West Virginia, that's where we hail from. Anybody here from West Virginia? I'm just curious. Any fellow mountaineers? Anybody ever been to West Virginia? Anybody know it's a state? Would you raise your hand, please? And Dad's pastored the same church there in West Virginia for the last 33 years. My dad was a businessman. He was not a preacher. And in his 30s, God called him to preach, and he started by vocationally pastor and then just stayed. And it's the only church he's ever pastored. I grew up in a pastor's home. I remember at a certain time in the ministry there, God was blessing. Have you been around long enough to know when God is blessing, Satan is fighting? Everything God ordains, Satan opposes. I'm telling you, people were getting saved right and left. You couldn't get the people in the building. It was amazing. God was blessing. I mean, it's like the windows of heaven opened up. And at that very moment, the devil poked his ugly head up. And maybe that never happens around here, but it happens sometimes, some places. And I remember my dad was going through the hardest season of his ministry. He was having a hard time. I I remember sitting on the front row as a teenager, just a boy preacher, and watching my dad weep through his sermons. He was really going through it. Nobody really knew. And there was a man in that church named Neely Mills. I can't wait to get to heaven and thank Neely Mills. If it wasn't for Neely and Frances Mills, and by the way, she made a mean peanut butter pie. That didn't hurt either, let me tell you. But it wasn't for Neely and Francis Mills, I don't know if my dad would have stayed in the Lord's work. And I don't know that this teenage preacher would have wanted to have been in the Lord's work. Because the hardest time in my dad's ministry, Neely Mills made it his business. He was a committee of one to pray for my dad and encourage him. I remember there was a man in the church. I did not plan to tell this tonight. There was a man in the church that just got excuse me, full of the devil. He just got full of the devil. He became a mouthpiece, a messenger for the devil. That's what he became. So dissension and discord among the brethren. I remember one night, Pastor, after a Sunday night service, we were leaving the church. My dad had poured his heart out and preached. He preached from Nehemiah. I still remember that. And that man accosted my dad in the parking lot of the church, got in his face, started fussing at him. I still remember. The last thing I heard him say was, Preacher, if you preach one more sermon from the book of Nehemiah, I'd had all I could take. I got out of the car. I was going to whip him in Jesus' name, you know. And my dad said to me, son, get back in the car. The Lord will take care of this. And he did. In the middle of all that mess, Neely Mills would greet my dad after every service, and put his arms around him. And say, Preacher, I'm praying for you, and I'm pulling for you, and God is with you, and we're with you. And he just kept nudging along, nudging along, nudging. He was the first guy we saw when we got to church. I look back now and think, that he was God's messenger to us. He opened the door at the church. He was, a, he was a Marine. You know, once a Marine, always a Marine. He'd open the church door, and you say, How you doing, Brother Mills? He always gave the same answer, At my post of duty, at my post of duty. And he was. You know the greatest thing he did for us? He prayed for us. I was reading and studying through this amazing passage about about loving and honoring and esteeming and all of that, and I kept reading and kept reading and kept reading through the list, and I came to this verse. It's verse 25, and it is the text. Brethren, pray for us. Would you take a pen and underline those four words in your Bible? Matter of fact, let's read them out loud together, church. Everybody ready? It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 25. Ready? Brethren, pray for us. Let's try to memorize that tonight. How many of you think we could memorize that verse? All right, let's try it together. Ready? Brethren, pray for us. It's a smart crowd. That's good. Brethren, pray for us. Is in the family of God. Watch, please. And the preacher's writing. <laughs> Might I remind you? He's writing from some pretty tough circumstances. And what does he ask for? Would you pray for me? Just pray for me. I worked for the same pastor for a couple decades. I made a habit of of saying to him when I saw him, you need anything, anything we can do for you? And his standard answer, now there were times that he needed something done, but his standard answer was this, just a lot of prayer, just a lot of prayer, just a lot of prayer. I'm understanding that more and more now. There was a man in that church. He and I became dear friends, and we started having meals together. We, we would have a meal together, and Brother Mike would, would pray, he'd pray over the meal, and then he would stop, and he'd say, Now, Father, help Pastor right now. Help him right now, Lord. And, Lord, help Evelyn. And he called his boys' names. He prayed for the preacher and his family. After he'd done that two or three times, Finally, one day, he said, amen, and I said, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, you pray for the preacher every time you pray? He said, yes, sir. every time I pray. He said, and we taught our kids when we pray at home, we always pray for the pastor and for his family. He said, I learned something, Scott. He taught me something. I'll never forget it. Over a meal, he taught me something. He said, I learned that when you pray for somebody, God works on both ends. He said, God helps him, but God helps you. He said intercession works on both ends of the spectrum, and so we started making that a practice in our home to pray for the pastor, to pray for God's servant. How many of you know pastors need prayer right now? In fact, the meeting we're starting this week, that's really what it's about, trying to encourage God's servants. Look, look, you can pray for your pastor just like you pray for anybody else because whether you realize it or not, before he was a pastor, he was a Christian. That's a shocking thought, isn't it? That means, as a Christian, he deals with the same burdens and battles that every other Christian faces. And then, on top of that, like a layer on top of that, the Lord has given him the the responsibility of leading and feeding a flock, which means he is a target for the enemy. And I'm just going to tell you, I travel every week. I'm with hundreds of pastors every year. The spiritual intensity of the warfare has increased exponentially in recent years. Now, I have a conviction in my heart about why that is, the battle is always hottest just before it's over. Isn't that glorious? I think the reason it's gotten so intense right now is Satan and all the hounds of hell are doing everything they can to stir up everything they can while they still have opportunity because they see their windows closing and the time is short. Jesus is getting ready to come. Let me tell you what God's servants need right now. What I'm about to show you, you can pray for anybody, but you ought to concentrate this kind of prayer for your pastor, and I'm going to tell you why. Because as you pray for the servant of the Lord, God will strengthen the whole of the work of God in this place. Let's take a church vote. Can I take a church vote? It has nothing to do with money, all right? How many of you would like to see this church move forward for the glory of God? Would you raise your hand? Now, look, I know your church, and your church has a wonderful reputation, and God is blessing, and I thank God for that. You can sit on all of that if you want to, or you can let that be the foundation for everything else God wants to do. Wouldn't it be glorious, honestly, wouldn't it be glorious if the most fruitful season in this church was the season between this day and the day the trumpet sounds? Wouldn't that be a great thing? I'm gonna tell you how you cast your vote for that. You don't cast your vote for that by raising hands and signing cards. You cast your vote for that by your prayers. Churches move forward on their knees. And if you ever see a church where the hand of God is on the pastor and the Lord is blessing and prospering in that church, you be very sure of this. It has less to do with what happens on the platform and more to do with what happens in a prayer closet somewhere. People say, well, if the preacher just preached better sermons, let me use a good West Virginia theological term for that, hogwash. The preacher's preaching the Word of God. Does your preacher preach the Word of God? We don't need better sermons. We need better prayers. That's what we need. And if we had better prayers, maybe we'd get some better preaching. But even if not, I know this, we'd get more out of the preaching we're already getting if we learn the principle of brethren pray for us. And this is what has captured my attention. You want a good study? I'm not preaching on this tonight. You want a good study? Study all of the prayers of Paul. They're rich. I mean, I'm telling you now. They're, they're powerful. Look at all the letters of Paul and all the prayers and all the prayer requests as he prayed for the people. But did it ever dawn on you how many times in Paul's writing he asked the people to pray for him? So very quickly, you say, we're making a list? Yep, we're going to make a list, and we're going to do it fast. I'm going to walk you through, and I'm going to show you Paul's prayer request for himself. And by the way, I don't think he gave it selfishly. I think he gave it under inspiration of the Holy Spirit so we could take it and pray it for all of God's servants. And did you know? Oh, I'll tell you something wonderful. Did you know you can always know you're praying in the will of God when you're praying in the Word of God? Now hear people say, I just don't know what to pray for. All right, we're going to help you with that tonight. You understand this is God's prayer book? So you don't have to think up something to pray for. Just find what God wants and say amen to that and make that your prayer. So let's go back and let's start, please, in the little book of Romans. Would you go back to Romans 15? We're gonna make our list now. Here's how to pray for the servants of God, pray for those in leadership. Romans, of course, a great doctrinal treatise on salvation, but again, near the end, all these practical things. Look at Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 30. The Bible says, now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That's quite a verse. Isn't that quite a verse? Everybody stare at that verse. Romans 15, verse number 30. Do you understand that your prayers for the pastor are not done for the pastor's sake? Look at the verse. They're done for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the love of the Spirit. This, excuse me, is not about him, and it's not even about you. It's about God and what God wants done in this world. And I love this. He said, strive together with me. Get in this thing with me. Get in this labor with me. Get in this work with me. Look, only one person can do the preaching at a time. Only one man can lead the church at a time as a pastor. But let me tell you something all of God's children can do. Get off the bench and get in the game. You ready? Here's how you do it. We all get involved in the greatest work of all, which is the work of prayer. And he said, you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And then here's his first request. Number one, that. I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. Would you write this down? Number one, here's a list. Ready? Number one, this is your prayer list for the week. There's your prayer list for God's servant. Number one, pray for God to protect your pastor from every enemy. Paul was on a mission. The mission was the Lord's work, and it, he understood something. There were going to be enemies. The door of opportunity swings on the hinges of opposition, old Dr. Bob Jones Sr. used to say. Paul said it this way, a great door to effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Look, it's a fight. And so there's going to be the devil and the world and critics and lots of distractions, and so we pray a hedge of protection around God's servant. We'll come to 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 2 in just a few moments as we walk through this. But in that place he says, pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. And so let's get very practical for a moment. You ought to pray that God would keep your pastor safe in every way. You ought to pray for his physical protection. You ought to pray God would keep his mind and keep his heart. You ought to pray that the Lord would hedge him in with such grace that the enemy could not get to him. When I was a boy, my pastor had a terrible fall. I hardly ever, ever reference it. And the longer I've lived and the more preachers I've known and the more pastors I've interacted with and the more I've seen good men, God's men, faithful men who just somewhere got discouraged, got in the battle and, and some at some point made a terrible decision, now they're out of the Lord's work. I've gotten deeply convicted about something. Would you like to know what it is? I wonder if that person was really being prayed for like they should have been prayed for. Every man makes his own decisions and has his own choices, but I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you that there is something to the power of God's people praying for the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while you're at it, pray for his family. God bless the faithful preacher's wives. You know, we open our mouths too quickly to criticize when what we ought to do is intercede. The greatest thing you can ever do with your tongue is talk to Jesus about it. And may I say, this is a ministry every one of the Lord's people ought to be engaged in. It is the ministry of prayer. And you ought to begin by praying that God would keep him from every enemy. Let's keep going. Come over to Ephesians chapter 6 because it really picks up the same theme. Remember, Ephesians 6 is the passage of spiritual armor and spiritual warfare and spiritual conflict. That's the context. Look at Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 19. Now let's start in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. By the way, everybody look at verse 18. I love this. Look at all the four alls here. All ways, all prayer, all perseverance, all saints. That's, That's tremendous. All ways, that's all times. All prayer and supplication, that's all dependence on the Holy Spirit. All perseverance, that's the faithfulness of prayer. All saints, that's who you ought to pray for. Did you know you can't pray for the wrong person? All, 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 all. And then you come to verse 19. I love this. And for me. I wish I could read that like Paul wrote that. Hey, pray for everybody, if you don't mind, when you think about me. Would you pray for me? We have some special friends here tonight that have been an encouragement and a prayer to us, and I thank God for them. And I meet people on the road. I don't know them. I don't even know them. Nearly every week of my life, I meet somebody, and they say to me, I just want you to pray for you every day. And I'm coming to realize something, Pastor. I'm coming to realize that when we see the blessings of God, it is less about what we are doing and more about the big picture that there are lots of people holding the ropes and praying and getting their prayers answered. You say you want to see God do something mighty here? Are you praying about it? Look at this, and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Number two, would you write this down? Pray for God to prepare and use your pastor. Yes, pray that God will protect him. Then pray God will prepare him and use him. Pray that God, look at these words, would give him utterance, would give him boldness. And I used to pray publicly for our pastor. I always prayed certain things. I always prayed God would give him wisdom. And I always prayed God would give him liberty. Now, how many of you have ever preached a sermon? Would you raise your hand if you've ever preached a sermon? I think everybody ought to have to preach one sermon in their life, honestly, just to stand up here and get to look at what we get to look at. It's wonderful, you know. And I prayed one night in that church. God would give him liberty. When I finished the prayer, when the service was over, A man came to me from the church. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, every time I hear you pray for anybody that preaches in this pulpit, I always hear you ask for something. I said, all right. He said, you always pray for liberty. He said, explain that to me. I said, I don't know that I can fully explain it unless you've been standing up there preaching. (laughs) But there are times, might I say, it's like wading through molasses. And then there's those glorious moments. When the wind of heaven blows, and you feel as if you're being carried along by the Lord Himself. That's liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? There is liberty. And by the way, I sense that liberty in this place tonight, and I thank God for that. But I want you to know there are times where the preacher is staring the devil right in the face and fighting all the hounds of hell. And I'll tell you what he needs. He needs somebody to pray. Dear God, help him to have the unction of heaven on him and the fullness of the Holy Ghost. Dear Lord, use him as he preaches the gospel and give him that utterance and liberty to speak. Pray before you ever come to the building. People say, we pray at church. Brother, bring your prayer with you to church. Spurgeon said, the habit of prayer is good, but the spirit of prayer is better. You ought to pray your way into this building. You ought to get out of the car praying, walk in the building praying. You ought to be praying long before the Lord's Day that God would use the servant of the Lord as he stands and preaches the Word of God. And then, let me tell you this, you ought to pray while he's preaching. I wonder how many people while I'm preaching right now are actually praying. You say, oh, we can't do two things at once. Oh, yes, you can. Jesus always had two conversations going at the same time. He'd be talking to the disciples and then just out of the blue say, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I love that. He's got two conversations going at the same time. I'm praying even as I'm preaching. Help me now, Lord. Lord, speak to people and, and help this church. Look, there ought to be that spirit of prayer in a place. How many of you were ever in a service and you could tell the preacher was struggling? Would you raise your hand? Now, (laughs) I've been there. Let me tell you what carnal people do. I'm going to tell you what carnal people do. You ready? This is not his best sermon. He's distracted or something. I don't know what it is. Let me tell you what spiritual people do. Spirit of God, help him right now. Help him right now. You know, it's funny. Everybody wants the product. Nobody wants the process. That's right. They want the altars full. People say baptismal water is stirred, and they expect, oh, the preacher gets that done. No, friend, the praying gets that done. Pray that God would give utterance. That's the second one. Let me show you another one. Turn over a few pages, would you please? Come with me to the book of Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 1. It's just a page over, isn't it? Book of Christian joy. It's a happy prayer. Look at Philippians 1, verse 19. Paul says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Would you write this down? Number three. Pray that God would help your pastor as he deals with problems. Pastor, do you ever have to deal with problems? At least once every six months, right? Um, First of all, preachers have their own problems to deal with because everybody's got their junk, you know. Does anybody know where Paul was sitting when he wrote Philippians 1? Where was he sitting, church? You tell me. Where was he? Yeah, he's in jail. Can you hear the clanking of the chains as he writes? I I believe that this will turn to my salvation through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I've marked two words in my Bible. Would you mark them in verse 19? I mark the word turn and the word supply. I love this. You can ask God to turn the circumstance for the glory of God and the good of that dear one that you love, and you can pray that in the midst of it, God will supply the resources through the Holy Spirit that he needs to get through it. You can pray that for him. But watch this, Paul was not just dealing with his own problems, he was helping other people through problems. I've learned this about the ministry. Much of the ministry is helping people through their problems. People think the only thing the preacher does is get three sermons together, stand up behind a lectern every week. Let me just tell you, 90% of the ministry is not done inside the four walls of this auditorium. It's done in hospitals and bedsides and homes and on the telephone, and I mean, it's night and day. You wanna help him in that? Let me tell you what I do. Pray that God would give him strength and wisdom as he deals with those things. Pray that God would keep him. Keep turning. Come over to Colossians 4. Here's the fourth one. Look at Colossians 4, verse number 2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. I wish you had time to just camp in some of these verses. Verse 2 is an amazing prayer verse. It shows some divine connections. It shows the connection between watching and praying, which is always in the Word of God, and it shows the connection between praying and thankfulness, which is always woven through the Word of God. But then notice, at the end of verse two, is there a period at the end of verse two in your Bible, everybody look at it. At the end of verse two, is there a period, yes or no? No. What's there, please? Yeah, I'm sorry, kids, use a dirty word in church. That's a semicolon. Getting a grammar lesson on Sunday. You know what a semicolon means? There's more to come, and it's connected. Look at verse three. With all, praying also for us. That. Ready for the fourth one? God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Number four, pray that God would give your pastor divine appointments. Pray that God would put your pastor in the path of the very people he needs to witness to and speak to and counsel with and help. Pray that God would use him. You say, well, I can't see all that. I can't know all that. No, you can That's the glorious thing about this. Look, the prayers go up and the divine resources come down. Somebody says, well, will I ever find out about it? Yes. At the judgment seat of Christ. You know, the nail-pierced feet of Jesus, we're going to see a lot of divine connections the Lord made, and we're all going to rejoice together that we just got to be a part of what God was up to in this world. You know the great thing about a church? You're a part of something much bigger than yourself. There is not a, a club, a ball team, an organization, or a civic group in this town that is as exciting as what God has let you be a part of. You're a part of God's work in this world and it is being done in the place of prayer. Pray that God would give him divine appointments. Then come over a couple pages to 2 Thessalonians. We were in 1 Thessalonians. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3. I alluded to this passage earlier. Look at the first two verses. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) Brethren, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified. Would you mark this expression, even as it is with you? Stop, lift your head, and look at me just a second. How many of you are glad that God has used the preaching and teaching of the Word of God to minister to you and meet needs in your life and in your family at certain times? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are glad about that? How many of you would say that you're here tonight and there's spiritual fruit in your life because you've received the ministry of the Word along the way? Yes? Look, that's why I'm here. We're all products of that. You ought to be praying, you know, isn't it funny that in the thing we think we are so spiritual in, our prayers, we actually reveal how truly selfish we are. Listen to yourself pray. Most of our praying is for us. And I love how it turns it inside out changes the whole thing and says, wait, this is not just about you. This is God's big work in this world. In my mind, I'm standing now at my grandpa's pond in West Virginia when I was just a boy tossing rocks in the middle of it and watching the ripples and counting them till they got to the shore. Do you understand the spiritual chain reaction that is set in motion by one of the prayers of the Lord's saints and the divine connection it makes? It continues all the way to get to the shore of heaven. Look at the verse. He said, it's happened in your life. Let's pray it'll happen in others' lives. Look at verse 2. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. Write this down. Number five, pray that God would give your pastor lasting fruit. Much fruit and fruit that remains. You understand, it's not his fruit. It's the Lord's fruit. It's for the glory of God. That in the end, this is the work work of the Lord, not the work of the preacher. And only God can give the fruit, and God gives it as all of us have our part in that. Keep turning, would you please? Come over with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me give you the sixth one quickly. We well, you know this passage. We typically apply it to political authorities, but that's, that's not where it should start. Look at verse 1 of 1 Timothy 2. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, first things first, supplications, prayers, Here's a key word, intercessions. And giving of thanks be made for all men. Do you understand what Jesus is doing at this moment? I heard your pastor allude to it in his opening prayer, and I enjoyed the, the opening prayer. That may sound strange to you, but I do hear lots of prayers in church that sound very rote and trite and, excuse me, full of religious clichés, and we're just saying the same old stuff to get through it like a token to God. I love to hear heartfelt, thoughtful prayers to the Lord. And in the opening prayer, he said something about Jesus praying for us. Do you understand? Intercession is the highest level of prayer because it's what Jesus is doing right now. Church, look, do you understand that when you come to make intercessory prayer, you actually are coming to a prayer meeting that is already in progress? Because right now, at the throne of God, Jesus is praying for you. <laughs> My wife said to me, I'm praying for it. That means a lot. I appreciate it. I talked to my son on the phone before we came in. He said, praying for you, Dad. That means a lot. I'm grateful. But I love this. If nobody on earth ever called my name to God today, it's all right. Jesus is praying for me. Robert Mary Shane said, if I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a thousand enemies. Then he stopped and said, but the distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Sir, Jesus is praying for your family. Ma'am, your kid's breaking your heart. Jesus is praying with you for them. (laughs) The Lord knows how to pray. Lord, teach me to pray that way. And a part of that prayer is intercessions. And look at verse number 2, for kings and, here we go, for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And it connects it to the work of the gospel. Look, pastors are bishops. They're they're overseers, and they don't rule as kings, but they rule as stewards. They're not like political rulers. They're spiritual leadership in the church, but they're ordained by God. They're a part of God-ordained authority. And for the record, you can't be right with God and wrong with God-ordained authority. That doesn't mean they're always right, but it means it's not right for you and I to have the wrong attitude towards them. Somebody say, well, I don't like something. Tell Jesus about it. Your prayers will get more done than anything else you could ever say. And so let's write this one down, number six. Pray that God would lead your pastor as he leads others. James 1, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, it shall be given him nothing wavering. You ought to pray every day, God, give my pastor wisdom today. Pastors make decisions that affect lots of people. And you ought to pray that God would give him a double portion of that wisdom, keep him moving in the right direction. And and I'm going to tell you what I've learned. I've learned that grateful intercession will help keep your heart right and your attitude right and open to the ministry of the word from that person. Did you know you can't be angry at somebody you're praying for? Oh, you can be, but you can't stay that way. Because somewhere, oh, it's wonderful, God just melts your heart. He just melts your heart, and suddenly you start thinking of them like Jesus thinks of them, loving them like Jesus loves them, and wanting for them what Jesus wants for them. Oh, brethren, 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 pray for us. Let me give you one more, the seventh. Come with me to the book of Hebrews, and I know, I know, somebody says, I don't believe Paul wrote Hebrews. Well, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Let's just get this out of the way. The Holy Ghost wrote it. Can we agree with that? Okay, good. Look at Hebrews 13. It's a great chapter. Did you know three times in Hebrews 13 it uses the expression, them which have the rule over you? In verse 7, you remember them. In verse 17, you obey them. And in verse 24, you salute them. That's beautiful. Look, you remember them. That's a word of learning. Uh, you obey them. That's a word of submission. You salute them. That's a word of encouragement. You work at that relationship with those that God has put over you in the Lord. But look at verse 18. You like to know the key? Verse 18. See if this sounds familiar. Verse 18, first three words. Read it with me, church. Ready? Pray for us. Mm. You ever wonder why God repeats himself? When God repeats himself, it's never because he forgot he said it. No, no. When God repeats himself, there's something there he doesn't want us to forget that he said. Uh, How shall we pray, sir? Keep reading. Pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willing to live honestly. This is very important. Because to this point, everything I've said to you has to do with the pastor's family or the pastor's preaching or the pastor's ministry. But this one, most personal for last, deals with his life. Would you write this down, number seven? You should pray for your pastor's spiritual growth and blessing. Pray that God would keep him clean and right. I changed my life verse a few years ago. I don't know if you're supposed to do that or not, but I did. I'm calling it my second half verse. (laughs) Acts 20 24, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus. It dawned on me one day, Paul did not say that he wanted to finish the ministry right. He first said he wanted to finish his course right. Would you pray for me? I want to stay right. I want to finish well. I don't assume that I will. I don't assume that I will. I've known men who were much more spiritual men than me who did not. Pray for me. Brethren, pray for me. How shall we pray? Don't pray for the sermons. Pray for my spirit to stay right. Pray that I'd stay what the old timers call on praying ground, right with God, in tune with heaven. You want to pray for your pastor? He's a brother in Christ, you see. She's a sister in Christ, you see. Pray that God would keep them right with the Lord and right with others. Pray that God would keep them usable. If they're usable, they will be used. Brethren, pray for us. A visitor to the Metropolitan Tabernacle long, long ago in London was walking through the facilities, and bumped into the famed Charles Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers, you know. Probably the most quoted minister that ever lived. They were intrigued by the buildings and the programs and, of course, by Mr. Spurgeon. And finally, the visitor asked, Mr. Spurgeon, what would you say is the secret of God's blessing on your ministry here? They later said that he never hesitated. There was never even a pause. He already knew the answer. And he said, my people pray for me. They pray for me. Not his oratory, not his insight, not his organizational ability, not the ability to stand on a platform and sway an audience. No. He knew somebody was praying. I don't know who the prayers are in this church. They're not always who you think they are. Mm Mm-mm, not always. Sometimes they're a shut-in that never even gets to church. It's funny, isn't it? Sometimes it's the people you don't even think about. And God's blessing. Everybody's just enjoying it all, and somewhere there's a little saint of God on their knees. Oh, God, help them. A lot of things are going to be revealed at the judgment seat, I think. A lot of public people are going to have to stand to the side as the prayers are called to the front. And the Lord gives out the rewards. And I want to say to this church, I I really don't know your church that well, no one has asked me to speak on anything tonight. I knew what this month was and knew what this day was, but I felt prompted of the Holy Spirit to bring you this message tonight because I really believe something. I believe God has much more in the days ahead for pastor and people, and I know this, the only way that will ever happen is if this is a church filled with praying saints. Brethren, pray for us. Father, in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit, may the Word get down deep in our hearts. May it get into our homes, Lord. May it bring about a spirit of prayer unlike any we've ever known. and May it bring forth spiritual fruit that only God could get the glory for. We understand, Lord, this is not about a man, not about any man. It's Christ. This is Christ's church. You're the head. You started it. It's yours. It's all yours. But dear Lord, would you help us all to find our place in it? And would you teach us to pray? Our heads are bowed prayerfully. Our hearts bowed before the Lord. Before we have any music or do anything, could I ask a couple questions? How many of you know you're saved and you're glad about it? Would you lift a holy hand to God? Aren't you glad you know Jesus? Matter of fact, just right where you sit, why don't you just right now just pause and say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, not letting me go to hell. What a Savior we have. Praise God. I must ask this question. I'm not going to take it for granted that everybody knows Jesus. Is there somebody here tonight that would say, Preacher, I'm not certain of my soul's salvation. I'm just not certain that my sins have been forgiven and that if I died or Jesus came tonight, I'm going to heaven. Preacher, I'm not positive about that, but I don't want to go to hell. Pray for me. I won't embarrass you. You say, pray for me. Would you slip up your hand with mine long enough for me to see it? Parents are sensitive to young children who are here. I'm looking carefully. May I tell you, if you're not a Christian, if you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, you should do it tonight. Even now, you could say to the person next to you, I want to be saved. I want to know Jesus. I need Christ. There could be somebody even watching online. Look, we're talking about prayer tonight, but the most important prayer ever prayed is the prayer of faith. It is that prayer, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's the prayer that sets all other prayer in motion. If there's somebody here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want you to know even now, even now, by and large, I think I'm speaking to believers, but if there's somebody here without Christ, even now, you could leave your place and walk to the front, and somebody will meet you here and show you from the Bible how to have your sins forgiven if that's what you want. Just leave your place now and come, and somebody will greet you. Somebody will answer your questions and pray with you, and you can leave here knowing Christ. Best I can tell, I'm speaking to God's people tonight. You want to be a better church member? I do. I'll tell you how to be, be a praying church member. How many of the Lord's people tonight, men and women, young and old, how many of the Lord's people tonight would say, Preacher, I'm convicted tonight that for all of my busyness and activity and participation and interest and all of that, all of my words, that I, I do not pray like I ought to pray. The Holy Ghost has convicted me of that, of my own prayerlessness, my failure in this area. And preacher, I want God to forgive me of that. I'm going to raise my hand first. Would you raise your hand with mine right now? You say, that's me. All right, tell God right now. Let's not waste a second. Just right now, right where you sit, in your heart, from your soul, say to the Lord, God, forgive me. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. Is that right? Call it sin. Too busy to pray, Mm, too busy for God. Dear Lord, slow us down long enough and give us enough discernment to pray. Why don't you talk to the Lord right now about what what you're going to change. You're going to set aside a time to pray? You're going to make it a part of your daily routine? Where are you going to pray? What's going to change? I mean, we just had another service. That's it. I preached a sermon. We all go home. What will change when we leave? Oh, brethren, pray for us. Would you lift your head and look at me a moment? I didn't say amen on purpose because we're not finished. I'm going to do something a little odd, perhaps. But it's the way we're going to end tonight before the preacher comes back. How many of you have family in this room? Would you raise your hand? You have family here tonight. Great. If you have family here tonight, I want you to get with them in just a second. Take your spouse by the hand. Get your kids if they're not sitting with you. I want you to get your family if they're in the room. How many of you, like me many times, my wife happens to be with me tonight, but many times I'm in a service and I have no family there. How many of you don't have family here tonight? Would you raise your hand, please? All right, if you don't have family here tonight, I've got good news for you. You do have family here tonight because you're a part of the family of God. So if you don't have immediate family, I want you to find a brother or sister in Christ to pray with in just a moment. Here's what we're going to do. For the next few moments, we won't tarry long, but for the next few moments, we're going to have an old-fashioned prayer meeting, and we're going to take what we just wrote down, and we're going to start applying it. Now, I gave you how many things are on your list, church? How many things? Seven. How many days in a week, church? All right, I'm going to challenge you for the next seven days to take one a day. You may take all of them every day, fine, but you can take one a day and concentrate your prayer on that thing. Pick one for today. I don't care which one you start with, but pick one. The one the Holy Spirit's really put his finger on and say, you need to be praying for that. And I want you to pray for your pastor and his wife and their children and uh, the spiritual leadership of this church. I want you to pray that for them tonight. How many of you are physically able to get on your knees? And I'm not saying that in a joking way. Not everybody can get down and get back up again. So how many of you are physically able to get on your knees? If you're physically able to get on your knees, I'm going to challenge you to do that tonight. You can come to the altar and get on your knees, get out in the aisle, turn around, make your pew an altar, whatever. But I'm going to ask you to get on your knees with your family or some brother or sister in Christ. If you're not able to get on your knees, you can find a place to stand together, sit together, and let's spend a few moments in prayer. I think let's do this. In a moment, I'm going to ask our brother to play sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer that calls me from a world of care. I'm going to begin a prayer. I'm not going to say amen. When I pause, I'm going to point to him. He's going to start to play, and when he hits the first note, I'm going to ask you to find your prayer partners and find your place. Take your prayer list with you. You got your prayer list? And let's pray at least one of them tonight. You might even want to take your open Bible and put your finger on the verse and say, Lord, I'm praying this for him tonight. But let's pray specifically and believingly. Father, sanctify these few moments. May it be In our hearts, holy ground to God. And would you set some motion, in motion, some things tonight that will continue to eternity? Lord, teach us to pray.